Welcome to the Esport Trust podcast. The Esport Trust is a children's charity working to ensure every child enjoys the life-changing benefits that come from play and sport. From this series of podcasts, you can expect to hear from experts in the industry, colleagues of the YST, and people who are out on the ground delivering in a variety of different ways through roundtable discussions around hot topics, behind the scenes of some of the events that the YST put together, interviews with various people working in the field, as well as masterclass podcasts, listening to those that have been successful and exactly how they got there. My name is Sarah Harnett and today's podcast is a series of roundtable discussions all about girls and women's football. We've had some great chats with Lioness Legends, the FA team at the YST and the dynamic duo of Baroness Sue Campbell and Phil Neville. Up first, we hear from Faye White and Rachel Unit talking about this year's World Cup and what their experiences were like when they donned an England shirt. So, Women's World Cup, just been on. What are your thoughts? How was it for you? Were you, were you involved in any way? Did you go to any of the games? Um, yeah, I was fortunate to go out in the first game, England-Scotland. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, walking around Nice, um, I remember just seeing so many English and Scottish fans, you know, female men in their shirts. Um, and then seeing the game itself and seeing that the, the, the um, attendance was about 13,000 something. Yes, it wasn't full, but being at the game, you saw that literally every fan was a travelling fan. So for me, looking back on my last World Cup in 2011, which was Germany, which again, I just over the you know the water and not far, mm-hmm. we would have probably a little cluster of about 50 to 100 of family and friends, and then there would be the odd you know spot you know fan that we've known, and we got to know their names because they would follow us, and you got that kind of you know. Mm-hmm. But it was literally you know a few handfuls of fans. So then to look see how obviously because Canada is quite far away, isn't it? So that's maybe a different situation, but to see so many fans and the fact that they were all home, like you know, Scotland English fans and not many locals that seemed to be at the game was amazing. Um, to see that kind of atmosphere and the friendly atmosphere that was around the towns and, and everything, so it was great to be there to witness that. And you know, I had to walk around the pitch at one point to do a few interviews, and it was just like, oh, I'm right there. I want to get on there, you know. To back on <laughs> you can see you know, like obviously KV and Steph and Ellen all women, Jill and Kaz, who obviously I, we played with. Yeah. That you're, you know, you just think, oh, can I not? And I, obviously, I know the knees wouldn't handle. In it your now, mind, but... you can still do it, can't you? In your head, but it's just your body's half a little behind. Yeah. Yeah. But to see like the, the the crowd sizes, the viewing figures, the covers of the papers, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, just hearing it on the radio you'd be you know doing something in your house and I'll have the radio on and it, there's a bulletin come up or I'd be in a taxi to go to a you know something to pr- promote the game because yeah. again I, I was at home you were at home I saw you did, did a load of media didn't you? Yeah I had quite a bit um, BBC contact me several times um, usually the day before the game um, or after the game but for me it's a totally different experience I, uh, I was at work for a few of the games um, and then I was at home for the others, but I because uh, I tend to watch games with my mum and dad, so um, I watched, like I say, some at work and some at home with mum and dad. Um, but it's a game changer, isn't it? If you compare this World Cup to World Cup four years ago, it's like Faye was saying, it's totally different. Like I walk out to the supermarket and you got Jill Scott on a bottle of Lucasade, Budweiser. That had never happened back mm. in the day, would it? We the FA used to have to chase like companies or partnerships for, for sponsorship but now like companies are, are now coming to the FA uh, on a media level it's totally changed like I say BBC back in the day it was BBC and the, the FA when it, mm. you didn't really see 
like see many other other companies. Um, but I suppose they, for me, they were like texting different like Talksport, Daily yeah. Mail. You know, people just texting because somehow they've got hold of your number. Yeah. And, Can you do this tomorrow? And you'll be like, well, no, or yeah, you know. But kind of just in that you think now the demand on the actual players. And obviously, how that has to be managed themselves and, and what have you. Yeah. It is, I think, like the games grew. I think the changing point for me, um, when it started to grow a bit more, was 2005 when we hosted the Euros in the north, north, uh, Northwest. And I think the, the figures then were like, I think 90,000 watched the games live, and I think mm. it was about seven or eight million on TV. That was the three games, mm. and their figures were 11.7 million for the. It was 28 and something million for all our England games, wasn't it? Yeah. This time. But I mean, you, you do because you do think it's moved on so much and I, do, I think I think it's like the media because you look at 2005 we had what just under 30,000 in the Etihad Stadium for that mm-hmm. opener against yeah. Finland so you think well that was you know how many years 14. ago 14 years ago so it, they were brilliant numbers then because we don't not regularly getting 30,000 to an England home game yet even no. when we hold it in smaller grounds but so you think, yeah, it has moved on so much more, but equally there was still that appetite, wasn't mm-hmm. there? It, but that was for people who would go and look and find out about it. Whereas now, like I said, you hear it on the radio it's and it's popping and, and it's there and you, it's just going to become a second. The more you hear about it, the more, oh, okay, well, how are they doing? And, yeah. you know, so it becomes more of a, just the norm and that will change people's mindset to how they view the game yeah. as opposed to just suddenly hearing a little bit about it because it's a tournament and then hearing nothing again. Yeah. So like now the drive mm-hmm. is to try and get that in interest and like say 28 point whatever million have watched all the England games to now actually go out and watch a WSL game yeah. you know go to your local club find it and that's where now the onus is on the FA and the clubs to really make that that communication of that knowing where to find it easy yeah. for those people that the hardcore people will find out and will mm-hmm. delve and will, if yeah. there's a problem along the way of getting tickets they'll keep going whereas okay. there's some that will go well I've tried oh, actually it's too hard I can't bother you know so it's it's trying to make sure we do that and that, that some of the WSL games are now going to be in Min Stadium so again it gives that we can go there for a cheaper amount similar to the Olympics in 2012 really wasn't it everyone wants to go because they want to experience that atmosphere um, but also the, the, the relative you know t- some of the tickets were more accessible and cheaper etc and you'll get those people that want to go to the game but they're also well let's go and watch this because it's a in a great stadium and then they'll be hopefully as soon as they see it live and they see the the um, impact that the players give to the fans when they after the game when they stay signing you know that close that uh, that touchability almost to the yeah. top players where you don't never get that in the men's game well, I guess so that's it's so thing, important yeah like you said that you know when when you were playing and you'd have that you'd look up into the stands and they'd be your family and friends and then you'd have those supporters that you'd know by name and you know you you would have kind of generated either friendships with them or some sort of closeness with them but you kind of see that even now in the women's game it doesn't feel like that's necessarily lost they're still doing that mm. how important do you think that is that as it is a real difference mm. between the men's yeah. and the women's games so how important do you think that is mm. to keep that going well i think it's the unique selling point of the wsl so you know for players to be able to get that signature and that lean over of the pitch to get that selfie yeah. and, and stuff and they you know just get a bit more identity of the players and it's, it's not for the adults it's for the kids it's for the family because that's our, 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 our base isn't it but mm. it is important but obviously the bigger the crowd grows the harder that will be to a get around everyone but b from a safety point of view too so you can see why the men's game isn't able to do it as much but i do think our audience is very different to the men's game so somehow it, you've got to look at ways it could continue whether that's like a um 
autograph alley outside of grounds so that you know those ones that do want to stay a bit longer and get that that kind of experience are able to get that kind of opportunity because again sometimes it's the crowds the grounds that actually want to clear all the fans out etc it is an important thing at the moment but it's again knowing hopefully it will stay and continue um, to keep growing it really and I guess you were saying that you, you know there's a lot of the players in the team now that you've played with and, and you know that assumption would be that you still kind of stay in contact and uh, how different does it look like for a player now than it did back then in terms of all that backroom stuff you know how much has the game changed Oh, massively like I keep going back to 2005 um, but now I think there's more staff than what there is players you know at England camps there is they've got nutritionists sports psychologists um call it uh, masseuse even masseuse, just having, having a masseuse. masseuse remember we were like can we have a massage yeah. and you just won't be able to have it after the game it's like no that's a luxury you know that was at the start wasn't it I think. yeah 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 so on that on terms of, of that like I said there's more staff nowadays than, than players but then we had access to to most stuff but it was it was yeah it was very like limited one, it's one person like Dawn yeah. Scott was our exercise scientist who now is with the American team by the way so she won the gold and congrats to her because she was brilliant wasn't she so forward yeah. thinking um, and then we'd have literally one physio one doc wasn't it whereas now mm-hmm. they'll probably have two or three physios they'll have a few masseuses as well because you need that that one-on-one time and quality with the player don't you to be mm-hmm. able to um, kind of get the best out of them and like you say the recovery strategies now they're sitting in cryo chambers yeah, and all sorts that. aren't they yeah. we, we had an ice bath. ice bath bag of ice ice bath bag of ice <laughs> sit, sit, sometimes those big wheelie bins just filled with oh, it yeah, and we'd all really share getting them on wouldn't we oh, and, oh um, but you know now they have the, the sleeves that they put on their legs yeah, is it and they like, blow up with air to compress them compression and, yeah, something that's you know, so much stuff in there yeah, not only international we had, didn't we yeah we had skins but they're doing it at a club now aren't they so yeah that's what I'm saying not only international level on the club level like the league's been professional now for four or five years and I think that's a, a massive reason why the, the game has come on so much and we're drawing in these crowds uh, at these big tournaments and as well while the media jumping on board and other organisations. Um. I think it's just the um, kind of yeah, the attention that bringing in someone like Phil has done because I think it almost for not for all media people but for a lot of the hardcore journalists that report on the men's game it gives the, the credibility you know it gives that oh well we know what he was like as a player let's see what his journey's like in this you know A is he going to stay along in it and I do think he will now with the Euros 2021 coming up and now that he's seen what the female game is about and mm. the passion and the drive of the players to put yeah. themselves and give them that opportunity I would have thought it's quite refreshing for him to see having come out of the men's game and you know you can see that kind of bond that's happened isn't it and where how he's really got to know every single player got mm-hmm. to know the history of the game former you know teams and players and everything so but I do think for them, some of the media it's helped give them that yeah. little bit of stardust kind of experience and then obviously with his draws like David Beckham and people like that coming <laughs> yeah. to games and high-fiving Sue and you know and just that side and him yeah. now being interested it just bro- opens the door to a whole new level yeah um which is great but equally we've known that that's been the quality like say even in 2005 you know the game has improved as far as speed strength ability yeah. touch because they are touching the ball like sometimes we train what two three times a week with the ball club yeah at club and then yeah obviously when we meet at international we'll get the ball and we'd be touching it every yeah. day two times training twice a day but 
like week in week out and then you're doing that but around full-time jobs and so the recovery is not there you're not just solely you know you go to training and knackered before you even start and haven't eaten properly and you know all sorts so obviously we went to a time where we did start to get FA contracts yeah and that allowed us to drop some work to then concentrate more um but yeah so the standard has improved but equally I think the the kind of hunger and the desire and the game in itself mm-hmm. and what the game gives like a these players but also the fans has kind of always been there isn't it and we yeah. have been close like the Euros in 2009 it's almost like no one really remembers that we got yeah. to a final yeah and, that's and you're thing, like isn't it? You're, like you said there a lot of people seem to have picked up on that, that ambition and that fire of the team and from mm. my memory that's always been there you know yeah. I remember, you know, remember watching tournaments from, from mm. way back when and it's always been there it's always been that shirt like, yeah. you know, for players to be going out you know sometimes I'm paid and, and like you said purely for the love of the game yeah and to drive it and we knew quite early on certainly as England players but I again once I was captain it was that I, I have to step and do the media side of it I've had I had to learn because yeah. it was like I, bet I remember at that time a lot of us were probably shy to do all that mm-hmm. weren't we because we it was really like any well no one, no one really gives yeah. us any credit why are we going to go out there and put ourselves on that level to talk about it yeah. but it was like well if you don't you're not if you don't believe in the game itself we're not going to be able to make it grow so it was almost like we're going to go out there and start talking about it and you know mm-hmm. really pushing it and saying you know recover us you know <laughs> we are here so um, it was important wasn't it but also that role model I think you argue every player I, I mean I did um, just loved just as much as putting on the shirt or the armband was to know that there'd be a young girl maybe looking up going I can do this mm-hmm. I want to do that maybe yeah. or oh actually I love football I'm going to do it I'm not yeah. going to just listen to someone that says I shouldn't or the fact that there's not a local club that I can't get to I'm going to go going to nag mum and dad enough to get me to take me or whatever mm-hmm. yeah opportunities are massive nowadays as well, well. that's the thing isn't it like it's that it's well not exactly it's science, but visibility is now obviously increased but have you found like for you guys is that is your visibility now increased you know we're now also talking about like Lily Park yeah. who yeah. who nobody you know you ask quite a few probably now mm. anybody that's involved in women's football and, and nobody would have known about her, whereas actually she's now a name mm. from 100 odd years ago yeah. people are going oh god there's history to this yeah well it's important to recognise that isn't it um, and like for her to have that statue up at the National Museum is important because it shows that the game was there and they were drawing 50 odd thousand then you know obviously yes men were at war and the game men's get great game wasn't really going on but it was almost like well it had that draw then it doesn't you know it, we, women did play it and it, it shouldn't have been you know stopped for as long as it was but it's good that that kind of history is covered and the game you know but people recognise that I suppose and what's, yeah exactly yeah. That, yeah and that like we we knew like with America I remember when I first joined the team we might, we would play them and I remember we played friendly against America in America and it wasn't a proper official cap so that's the thing we played friendlies where they weren't even caps yeah. were they initially that's why they've got about 400 yeah that's why they <laughs> could have had about 200 each yeah. if we didn't no not maybe that much but we used to get battered 8 or 9 nil by America and then to get to 2011 we, we remember that yeah. at Leighton Orient where we beat them 2-1 yeah just by the that World one. Cup yeah, yeah. and it was just one. like I remember standing on that pitch going from 96 when I would have joined the team to getting lost you know lo- losing yeah. and the gap between us being massive basically as far as finance number of girls that play in their country what the, the how they even train and prepare for tournaments etc compared to how we they're like months in advance aren't they yeah. together 
and then so yeah to see and you think well we went from 8 and 9 nil to then beating them yes it wasn't a, a game a proper tournament game but that was the first time mm. I remember beating them yeah it's like that we'd ever beaten them and I remember standing on the pitch going I'm just going to take in this moment because yeah. they are the ones up there you know they, they're the top of the tree and we've just beaten them today and they didn't know what did them did yeah, they in that no. first half we were like it's got to be a feeling to take away exactly. just lock that don't you and just put yeah. that out when you need to you know moving forward what are your hopes what are your hopes for the grassroots game and what are your hopes for everything in between all the way up to the highest level I think obviously since the world, like from the World Cup I think the game is only going to grow you know I think without grassroots football there wouldn't be as many teams as leagues as there is now so I think grassroots it is the backbone of women's football and events like this are massive um, and the more events we can have on like this obviously the, the better and the more participants we're going to have um, you know so I think I think the game is going to grow and it's continue to grow and I think the more successful um, we are as a nation um, you know the, the, the more participants like Faye was saying that um, the girls are role models now and I think every little school girl or you know even boys will look up to these players um, knowing they can you know they can play football um, and the opportunities are out there as well not only in schools you know you've got thousands of clubs local clubs you've got centre of excellence um, academies you know when we started we, we had none of that so you know you're very lucky to if you want to play football these days, you you know it's a, the best time to, to get involved. Yeah, it's almost that thing, isn't it? If you want to play football, you can. You can. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas actually, you know, I mean, I I started playing when I was like five, and if I wanted to play football, go and do it in the park with your mate. That's no struggle, it. wasn't it? Mm, struggle. How about yeah. for yourself? What are your kind of hopes? For the grassroots yeah, well, and beyond. Well, as far as from and like competing on the national stage, it's you, when you look at America and they've got something like 1.6 million girls playing. It's like you know, or to pick from their pool. I think they said is so different to what we have, but we need to grow that number. Um, and I think the option is it's about with girls very much. It's about it being very social and team kind of focused too. So this the program like here today, and the game of our own program etc. is just a brilliant way because that it's just getting girls to be the ones that are inspiring each other to play and encourage each other um, because that's literally what I, I did at school it wasn't there we didn't have a girls team so me and my mate started one you know but now they've got so much more support and encouragement and showing of ways that they can do it and some of the resources and the workshops that they're going to do today and the skills that they will learn from this and then be able to take into further you know life but also then it's that not only can you play the game but you could go be a ref you could be a coach you could be a physio in the game you could, if you want you know there's different things different avenues that there's options for girls now if they want to play not only play in the game but to maybe work if they're not a player if they don't actually enjoy playing but they yeah. could still you know have a job in media you know reporting on it or something um, and I, just, I think that's just the doors are open there and it's so exciting but it's ultimately about getting girls themselves to inspire to encourage each other to play because yeah. even I went to it was a social media kind of um, group with the FA that like a few influencers had come and thought about let's just play a game of football and a few of them had never played football before but they were literally like they were, you know, they're women between 22 and maybe 28 30 yeah. and one of them comment goes I can see where guys do this now it's really good fun isn't it just to have a little bit of a laugh with your mate your phones and have a kick about and you know there wasn't all the rules weren't being applied but they were just enjoying it and having fun and that's the same for not only like adults but also for the kids you know to but it, it's then look, using that and having those social groups to then 
go out as a group or you know as a family or as in groups with your friends to go and watch the women's game yeah because I think that's only how we're really going to grow like the attendances because I, I think do, are we going to seriously see stadiums full of men supporting the game it's more acceptable for guys to go out there and um, watch the game isn't it but we need like families and young children and, and young groups of women going and supporting and championing the game and enjoying it as well. Up next, from World Cup to grassroots, the YST team give us an insight into the programmes that are out in schools right now, encouraging girls to get involved in the national game. Following on from the chat with the Linus legends, obviously we've now got the team, the YST team around us to talk about sort of girls and women's football. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about yourselves and what your role within the game is? Claire Nichols, um, I've been working in women and girls football for uh, 20 years now, uh, mainly at sort of county level within county FAs and county sports partnerships. Um, so yeah, just very passionate about grassroots girls football, um, where it is in the community and then obviously in this job um, around those kind of links within schools and um, just basically giving girls the opportunity to play football because when I was growing up I didn't get a chance to do that, I just got to play in the playground in the park and loved it but it was still very much a boys sport so um, it's great to have a career where uh, we're helping girls to be able to access football anywhere they want to. Okay. Um, I'm Nikki Russell, um, I'm one of the development officers here at the eSport Trust, so supporting our programmes across girls football. Um, massive, massively passionate about girls football. I still play for the local team, do a lot of coaching, I've even dabbled in a bit of refereeing as well. So try to get a bit, get about and watch a lot of football and things like that. I'm just really, really passionate just to echo what Claire was saying around how we can um, give girls more opportunities in schools but also that wider community piece and how we're really joining the dots across the football pathway. I'm Ellen Faulkner, I'm Development Manager for Girls Football Programmes here at the Eastport Trust. I'm really excited about the partnership that we've got with the Football Association and the difference that we're trying to make to girls through the vehicle of football and it's my pleasure to be working with this great team of people who you're talking to today and we're just going to share a little bit more about what we're doing behind the scenes to make that difference in schools across the country. Uh, I'm Tash Walker, I've been here at the Eastport Trust for just under three years now. Um, I'm the project officer in the girls football team, supporting the programmes and the partnerships. Um, I've been playing football since a really young age and still play to this day. Um, I've now got involved in coaching, so I'm really interested in inspiring sort of the next generation of girls to not only play football, but be involved in football in any capacity they wish to. So it feels like around the table we've got a real mix in terms of at kind of your goals, your guys's role in playing football and participating, is that right? I think we've got me and Tash who kind of live, breathe it still, playing week in, week out, every Sunday, training. And then they've added you quite a different experience of football. Yeah, so I, the, the team do laugh at me because I do say, a bit like what Claire said, that part of the misgeneration. Um, so every time we go to an event and there's a football there, I can't wait to get a football at my feet. So I played at primary school and by my own admission, I was reasonable. Um, and then I went to secondary school and there wasn't the opportunity to play. So, so hockey became my first love instead of football. I then went to sixth form at university, I restarted playing football, but I was constantly frustrated by the fact that I was never as good as what I was before. Um, so I never reached the level that I potentially could have done, and that's why 
I really care about what we're doing here and providing girls with those opportunities. So do you guys do you guys play now or dabble in it or is it just kind of at events you get born that's it you've got? So it's St George's Park. Yeah. After the World Cup we had our National Girls Football Youth Leadership Camp. So I did take a penalty at St George's Park. <laughs> and second attempt it was the top right hand corner underneath the crossbar. Oh, very nice. Very proud of that particular moment. Very nice. First attempt. I was about to say, how did the first attempt go? I did score, <laughs> but I was aiming for the top right hand corner. And actually, um, our COO, Will Roberts, can verify that I did say that I was aiming for the top right hand corner. <laughs> I love that. So, I guess you kind of touched a little bit upon. Uh, esports trust role within women's football and girls football can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on in particular what's going on in relation to that yeah so we've got a really exciting partnership with the football association um, and supported by Barclays there's a huge drive to ensure every girl has equal access to football in school by 2024 okay. so when we say equal access what does that actually mean it means that girls have an opportunity to experience football within the curriculum time that's where as we know all young people have an opportunity to be part of a PE curriculum yeah. so therefore that's a big driver for us because that's where we can get to everyone but in addition to that it's opportunities for girls to be able to participate in girls only activities mm. also opportunities to compete and to lead so that we can generate that next generation of workforce that potentially goes on to become coaches, officials, administrators in the world of football. Yeah, so I imagine there's a heck of a lot of logistics and what does that look like? What kind of programmes are they? So if someone's listening to this now and they're thinking, well, that sounds good and my daughter's in primary school at the minute and I'd like her to be playing football or I am a primary school teacher or I'm in various different roles, what's available, what's there? So the, the first part of this is around building the infrastructure. So supported by Barclays, who have put significant investment into a partnership with the Football Association, both at the, the Women's Super League level, but also there's a significant investment that's gone into supporting the creation of FA Girls Football School Partnerships. And in really simple terms, they're family of schools working together to grow and develop girls football in the school. So there's a strategic lead who's got approximately one day per week. And that individual is about understanding what the position is of girls football is in those schools and what they can do in terms of programme support or helping to influence and advocate to enable these girls to have equal access and opportunity. So alongside the infrastructure piece, we've also got some really exciting programmes, really innovative. What we know from our learning from Girls Active, which is funded by Sport England and delivered in partnership with Women in Sport, is that we absolutely need to make sure that we present girls um, with an offer in a really different way. Yeah. And that's often led for and created by girls. Um, so as well as doing things innovatively, we're trying to create chances for girls to lead opportunities for their peers. I'm going to hand over to Tash now to talk specifically about the primary school piece and a really exciting programme that we've launched um, in partnership with not only the FA but also with Disney okay. called the Shooting Stars programme. Yeah, well, let's hear a little bit about that then. So the FA Shooting Stars programme is in partnership with Disney and there's two elements to the programme. So the first one is the FA Active Play through storytelling inspired by Disney stories such as The Incredibles 2 and Aladdin. Um, so the, this programme is aimed at 
uh, aimed at girls aged five to eight and helping with developing those first fundamental movement skills. So this is done through the, through active storytelling. So the girls will follow these stories, developing those fundamental movement skills, which will later then help them play football. Yeah. The second part of the program is the girls football clubs um, inspired by Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. So this develops from the fundamental movement skills they would have developed in the first steps of the program. And um, continuing that storytelling element but increasing the increasing the level in that first sort of introduction to football mm. and the skills that they'd use to play football. You think it's in obviously you've got you've got some big names in there, you've got Disney and then you've got the Disney stories and you've got Marvel coming in and I guess uh, you know children, young people Disney's a massive brand and things that it's something that most people tap into whatever age. I think it's important to have people like that on board to to bring young people in, to bring girls in. I, I definitely agree. I think there's such a big piece around having something that girls can relate to. Yeah. It's characters they see on a day-to-day -day basis and they'll want to be involved in that. It's the familiarity as yeah. well of having something that they can connect to. So I guess in terms of those stories, I think it, you know, Disney, um, you know, it's very well known for its princesses and actually we see a, a turning tide in how, and how women are, and girls are, are depicted in Disney stories as well. And is there... Does that kind of follow suit? Are they are they kind of you know looking to these characters that they see and, and following their journey with them through football? Is that how it sort of works? Yeah, we want the girls to see sort of characters that have strong leadership skills and yeah. skills that these girls can then develop themselves. Um, I think it's really exciting because a lot of stories have real um, iconic characters and yeah. girls can really replicate the movements and they can replicate it whilst they're doing the activity. One of the things that's really interesting is that the research has told us that based on the Disney stories their heart rates are increased more and obviously the yeah. sport trust are really interesting in first instance getting young people active yeah. so that's absolutely at the core of what we're trying to do and then absolutely the, the stories are really bringing that to life for the girls and having that greater impact than just any old story. It's the Disney factor that brings it to life. And I guess it's that, you know, the age that you're describing there, between five and eight, they're just coming through reception age where they're doing a lot of play, which is sometimes structured, but also unstructured. And I guess actually you're almost able to follow that theme, is what my assumption would be, and continue to use that play theme alongside the Disney images and characters to be able to carry that on. Yeah, they really get immersed in the story and they lose their imagination um, within it. So... They're, they're almost lost in play. Yeah. So they're moving without realising that they're moving it. And the way the content's been written and developed and tested quite profusely um, means that the movements that they're actually doing when they are mirroring characters or playing games as part of the activities immersed in the story on a mission or um, some type of task that they've been set um, does genuinely develop their fundamental movement skills. But also what's really interesting as well as the increase in the heart rate and the intensity of it is the social skills that they then develop. They work in teams, um, they pair up, they work in small groups. You know, they have to work out sometimes who's in what team um, and therefore there's a bit of conflict management in that resolution. So it's really interesting around not only the physical development but also about the development of them and their leadership skills but also the whole speaking and listening element and how that's then linked in um, to curriculum in terms of Key Stage 1 in English. So 
it, it's a really accomplished all-round programme. And the other thing that I really love about it is there's a take-home resource. So not only are they experiencing it in school, they then have a, an adventure passport um, where they go home and they can talk to their parents or carers and they've got activities to do. So they'll reenact some of the movies that they've done at home or they'll read and write about it. They'll read about what's coming next. So it's a really way of trying to connect the school with the home life and ultimately try and get more children, more girls, obviously in particular, that 60 minutes of activity per day. And do you think, I guess, you know, as a, as a group, do you think that's really important and imperative in really bringing to life girls' football and, and getting more girls to play is by bringing the school, the parent and the young person together almost in that triad? Yeah, and you know the, the big thing to make the point around active play is there's no football. You know, this is about girls feeling competent and confident in their own skin, mm-hmm. and being able to move, being able to do activity. You know, because that then prepares them longer term for then starting to introduce to football or other types of activities. So it really yeah. is fantastic that the Football Association and Disney, you know, have invested in this to to make this possible for for girls to access and. At school that we were at recently, Willow Tree School, um, where we've done a lot of the piloting and we've launched the programme, you know, they've taken a really targeted approach to engage certain girls in these activities, so girls that predominantly aren't particularly active or maybe lack um, skills and confidence in the social setting. So they've really thought about the girls that they're targeting to to come to those clubs to really make a difference and improve their overall lives and wellbeing. And I guess it's that, um, you know, working with that school, if there are other schools that are interested in taking part in these programmes, how, how do they go about doing that? What's the next steps for people? So through FA Girls Football School Partnerships, supported yeah. by Barclays, um, schools that are part of those families of schools can access face-to-face training okay. that's provided here by YST Learning Academy tutors who have gone through um, an orientation process both with us, the Disney and the Football Association. Yeah. Um, so there's an opportunity for face-to-face and we've modelled that differently, um, taking into account the various different demands on people's time within primary schools. Yeah. And I think you know one thing really important to add here that this isn't just aimed at teachers or teaching assistants, this could be lunchtime supervisors or other adults working in the primary setting. Yeah. We then come to, if I'm a parent listening to this and my daughter isn't in a school that's part of an FA Girls Football School partnership, what do I do? Mm. Well, we've recently launched um, the girlsfootballinschools.org website. On there, every school is part of our For All offer in partnership with the Football Association, supported by Barclays, um, that we can then make sure that schools can access those downloadable resources so that every school in England can have the opportunity to introduce that program into their school. Okay, so if you're not part of a partnership or you don't know where that is, you have the the ability to go onto the website and as a parent maybe go in and advocate for it, or if you're a teacher listening to this, just start using it, or actually like you just said, you don't have to be a teacher, it can be anyone. Yeah, so on the website there is um, a section that actually explains more about FA Girls Football School Partnerships. There is a map so that somebody can go on and see where they are to see where their their nearest partnership is. Now, if they're passionate, if they're not currently part of a partnership, but they're passionate about getting involved in future, at the end of February 2020, we will be recruiting for more 
FA Girls Football School Partnership. So there's an opportunity not that far away to join us in the next academic year as part of this overall driving movement to give every girl access to football in school. And if a school is interested in that, where do they go to keep an eye out for that? Where does that get launched? Is it Twitter? Is it through email? Is there a particular process? If the school is interested, go to that website, then they can email us directly, which is where they'll be referred to on the website at fagirls at tsporttrust.org, and it will be Tash who you've heard from um, who will be coming back. So at the moment, we're registering interest. Um, We also have got our YST team of development managers who are having conversations locally um, with different schools out there in the network. But we're really looking for families of schools. This isn't just about one school signing up, it's about groups of schools working together where they can then access funding for an individual to then run that across those series of schools. And I guess actually, I mean, I mean, you know, opinions across the room, it really does feel like girls or women's football has, has turned a corner in the last, you know, year, two years especially, it feels really different. Um, you know, how what what do you think have been the successes so far? Both I guess within within the four walls of YST in terms of the stuff that, that's going on in here, but also just in general, the stuff that you're seeing outside day to day, either when you're playing or coaching or, or in other roles. I think it's an interesting one you mentioned earlier around the parent piece and the influence of parents and I think that comes to how we want to create that join up offer both of what we're doing within schools but also into community setting mm-hmm. because absolutely want girls to find the offer that's right for them and we hope that that is absolutely within school but we also want to transition them into community settings and I think that's where we're going to see the growth and the real development moving forward is how joined up the approaches are it's not hopefully just going to be a little bit of football over here a little bit of football a few hundred miles away it's that whole joined up piece and I know Claire's got a lot of experience of what that looks like in the community setting and that has, has evolved and hopefully those pathways are only going to get better yeah and uh, the, what sort of successes have there been so far and I think part of it's around the, the whole kind of culture in this country and how it's changing and I think it's been obvious over probably the last kind of five or six years where the women's the FA Women's Super League's got bigger we're seeing it on television now the England team have obviously been successful if you look at the statistics from certainly from the World Cup in the summer more people are just generally seeing women's football and that's really helping so I think that kind of in terms of like the role models and the access to football and I you know have conversations with people that are just general football fans you know a lot of those predominantly male who will now say oh, I watch the England team or I watch the women's team and they're talking about it and I think that culture change in this country is what's made a difference and what's going to make a difference you know we're getting away from this oh yeah some girls are playing football but it's still sort of embedded that it's a boys sport and I think that's what's I've certainly sort of seen starting to change and that's why I think the work that um, we're doing within schools now is kind of that next piece that's really going to work because unless girls access it and see it within schools you're still stereotyping there's still a lot of that kind of gender stereotype so I certainly think the kind of the exposure at the top end is making a massive difference in terms of mindsets of the wider society which then makes it easier if you're a woman or a girl and you want to play football because yeah. it's it's okay it's just a sport it's no different than any other sport so i think that's kind of what's changed um, over the years and i guess what what sort of do you still still see as being some of the challenges that are that what are some of the obstacles that still need to either be jumped over gone round smashed through 
I think naturally we've had it in our in our local club. It's just still pockets of of age groups or groups of girls that there aren't quite enough at certain age groups. We wanted to create under 18s this year, and we know that that's a massive time that girls sometimes drop out of the sport. They have other challenges, as, as everyone does around A-levels, end of GCSEs, a lot of social challenges, and it's around how we can maintain the numbers and the retention within the game. Yeah. I think it's something that we're working really, really hard to make sure that is, like I said, that pathway and they're still being, being kept in the game, particularly those transition points mm. when it's changing school or going to university or things like that, how are we really making sure we keep them keep them in the game? And what we're doing to address that is um, every county has a meeting where the Girls Football School Partnerships leads come together with the county women's FA officers or county FA women and girls officers I should yeah. say as well as other key partners in the local area so for example if a school if we can say this primary school is doing the shooting stars program delivery yeah the exit route from that once they've done active play they go into girls football club which is still within the school environment and that's still part of the umbrella of the FA shooting stars inspired by Disney brand and then they would then go into the community setting which would be wildcat centres so what we're trying to do is to make sure wherever there's going to be a shooting stars girls football club yeah. wherever possible that there is a wildcat centre that is that exit route that's set up okay. likewise if we know that there's a wildcat centre happening actually can we create that opportunity through the FA girls football school partnership strategic lead mm-hmm. to work with the schools in that area to make that happen so that we're starting to build the pathway so that girls can continue this journey and ultimately you know this we're using football as a tool here as a vehicle you know it's probably the most powerful brand that we've got here in this country it's watched in you know thousands of homes across the country we're as a a charity who's got a mission around building a brighter future for young people through the PE school sport we're using this really as a vehicle to um, put a spotlight on the opportunities that it can give to empower girls and also, most importantly, develop them as people and build their confidence for life. And I guess it, you know, I, th- I think at the minute it feels like that there's a fair whack going in primaries. What, what, what does the picture look like for secondaries at that point where I guess we know it's starting to peter off and maybe their other pressures are coming in and they're not as engaged? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting you actually led the, the different pressures and how there's a different audience possibly within the secondary yeah. sector. And our Game of Our Own programme is our curriculum offer within secondary schools, particularly in Key Stage 3. And the big thing about Game of Our Own is it's changing your approach to delivering curriculum PE, and it's all about having a life skills approach and making those life skills explicit for girls. Because yeah. we know that actually that's probably what's going to interest the girls more in the physical education and in their lessons, is developing those life skills, and we know that they're really important and as Ellen said around developing girls as leaders and having those skills and that confidence and actually we use football as the vehicle to make that happen and that absolute life skills is the core to the game of our own program and we support teachers we, we train teachers in how to deliver that life skills approach to PE using football as the vehicle yeah. and part of that program as we've kind of said everything's about developing leaders as well is an extra curricular offer it's about they can send six girls football activators to attend a day's leadership training 
to undertake either a delivery role, so that might be around coaching, uh, officiating, event manager, or they might follow a different pathway, which is marketing. So they might look at how they actually engage girls in their school in in football, how they market football to girls and what girls want from football. So it's a really exciting programme. It's really, really big and it's something that's evolved over over the course of three years. And it's something that we're always evolving to make sure it's fit for the needs of the schools we're working with. But having that curriculum offer and the, the teachers generating that excitement through the curriculum piece to then have that exit group that is led by girls in the extracurricular space is really exciting. It feels like, you know, terminology like um, using football as a vehicle, developing leaders, putting a media aspect on it. I mean, I guess people play football and it's for the love of the game and, and, and most people that play football is for that. But actually, you then don't tend to find many adults kicking a ball against a wall anymore. So it is for the love of the game and for the love of the, the ball as it was. But actually, you, if you're carrying on into adulthood, you're doing it because you're socialising with friends, because you like the structure it gives, because you like you enjoy the life skills it brings. Because as you get older, I guess you acknowledge that more. It feels as though actually what in the past may well have been football first, everything else second, is now everything else first and, and football will get, will drive it all. The, the key for us is, you know, what we're doing here is about every girl. Yeah. So we have to do things differently. Mm. So there'll always be the girls that naturally love football, you know, like Nikki and Tash growing up. They're always going to play football because yeah. they've got a natural flair and love for the game. What we're trying to do is present football in a different way through innovative programming, through encouraging girls to think about what that football could be. So yeah. is it indoors instead of outdoors? You know, is there music playing rather than no music? How can we make it so it's much more attractive yeah. to that that wider audience? And then naturally, once people come into that environment and that experience, they start to really enjoy it, they're having fun with their friends. And, you know, that's been a huge success of the Wildcats program you know it's been about fun friendship and fitness and yes football is the way that that's delivered but the focus is on those three elements and it's it's really looking at how we can incorporate those kind of ethos and principles and girls driving that change for other girls within within the school setting yeah i think just to, sorry just to build on that then and say i think there will always be football for those that love football yeah and there will always be that pathway where as a confident young girl i was ready to go straight into club i loved club loved competition and i've gone through that pathway i think what we're really exploring is how like it's around every girl and those different opportunities for everyone to access it as well as just those mainstream people who are really happy to go through the existing pathways and I guess you've got, it feels like you have that balance within the team in terms of two that have, have very naturally been drawn to football and love it because it's the sport that they choose to play and they've, they've really found the pathway, the, I guess what you might call the more traditional pathway, as completely suitable and two people that, that haven't had that experience but actually want to drive it in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think it's important as well not just to focus on football as players because when you look at the whole structure of football and I think I've found this as I've kind of moved on through in my career that actually coaches are really important yeah. administrators behind the scenes are really important and even more so now that kind of media and marketing which is why it's great that the game of our own program is focusing on how you market that because those people that do that and enjoy that side of it might not be great players and have a passion for the game but actually it's kind of how do you put it out there because like anything if you're going to do something well you need to tell people about it and it needs to be engaging and in the space that we've got at the moment around kind of social media and media everybody is fighting for 
people's attention so it's really important that we do that so I think in terms of this kind of whole program it's also putting that across to the girls that actually there's a lot of wider opportunities not just within sport but actually you know they're all transferable aren't they you might get involved with sport or you know any other kind of activity when you're growing up and then you find that actually all those things then kind of help you in terms of your career and I think that's what this whole program is about it's about helping girls to grow up so they're physically and mentally healthy and happy and they've got skills that they can I guess gives them a place in the world and I think that's really important. I think that's a, a, a big thing is, is showing girls that you can make a career through football that's not just playing and coaching. Yeah. Uh, for me I didn't know that jobs like the one I have now even existed yeah. um, and it's sort of, sort of sharing that world with these young girls is this is if you're interested in this is something you can sort of develop you can look at Alex Scott who's now a pundit on TV that's a career pathway if that girl is interested in that side of media that's something that they can follow it's just sort of opening the doors to all the girls to see this is what you can choose from follow whichever pathway you like and there is opportunity out there for you yeah and I mean you touch on that point of kind of coaches and administrators and actually for those exit routes to be there you need a whole wealth of people to enable that to happen and I guess the assumption is that um, you know maybe not intentionally but you're you are going to be influencing those uh, lunchtime supervisors the teachers that actually may then well step out into the community and go okay I'm ready for whatever's next so I'll come and be a club chairman or we'll start a club or I'll be a coach or referees I mean you know we're now seeing sort of sharp Massey being talked about really regularly um, but generally just Sean Massey and but she's you know she's a trailblazer yeah I think that's the thing now there's a lot of people that are leading the way and it's almost the more this kind of mass audience the more we can get in that kind of group of everyone doing more that's how it becomes embedded so yeah. I think for yeah, young people at the moment there's a fantastic opportunities out there and people will keep trailblazing but hopefully we'll get to a point where they won't need to be trailblazing there will be a mass of people coming through and I think having female decision makers on things is important as well so again we kind of touched on marketing or you look at you know the boards of football clubs people that are making decisions a lot of them are still predominantly male so although we're seeing more females kind of on the ground there's um, yeah, wealth of opportunities out there for, for people to get involved and I think that workforce piece is really exciting because I think through the programmes being different, we've engaged a different audience of people who probably never envisaged they'd volunteer in football or they'd be doing any kind of football programme and yet they are coming on board and they're getting behind the message because they understand the mission and why it's there and everything within the primary space is absolutely huge and actually some of those will, like you said, transition into the community and then benefit because they're seeing how powerful it can be as a vehicle for girls to develop both physically and um, mentally and socially. Yeah. I think that's really exciting. It's a whole new cohort of people we're, we're targeting and working with. So I guess it feels like there's there's so much going on. What What is the hope that 10 years time looks like? What does grassroots football, what does girls and women's game look like in 10 years time? I'd, I'd like it where women's football is seen just as football alongside men's. It's not seen as something sort of second tier. Yeah. Um, and that if I'm a young girl, I can do exactly the same things that a young boy would do. Quality in the game. I know some people joke that, oh, well, if, if women's football is where we want it to be, we all don't need a job because it's exactly where it should be. 
I completely get that perspective, but I still think how exciting would it be if actually we had even more opportunities to work within women's football and even more opportunities to continue to grow it and continue to provide those equal opportunities and yeah. more girls who can, um, and women who can make a career through football like Tasha, whether it's, it's playing, it's, it's um, working, it's marketing, it's development. I think that's really, really exciting. I think to continue to grow that. And, I mean, it's a dream for a lot of girls to work in a professional club and there's not many jobs there at the moment. Imagine if that, if that could grow and you have all those people I think that's really really exciting well, I guess that's the thing as well isn't it if it grows then there will be more jobs naturally if it gets to the point that that we reach that point of that quality that it is just football mm-hmm. then there should be a wealth more jobs with with hopefully more young people that that you know are, are being um exposed to this now actually start to take those job roles mm-hmm. yeah and I think looking 10 years into the future is an interesting question because if I look 10 years back and said would well, we be where we are now yeah I, I think we'd have all hoped so but I'm not sure that it was still a dream so I think everything's so fast paced at the moment yeah it's actually really quite difficult to look 10 years and go well actually what what would it look like but um yeah I think as Tash and Nikki have said really it is just that football's there for everyone and I think if we can get this school piece right to know that you could walk into a school and girls have got an equal opportunity to play football within school I think that will be a massive game changer in terms of the whole piece because if there's more girls playing football within schools then naturally a higher percentage of them are going to play outside and then that kind of uh, builds as well. Yeah final word from me final thoughts what's the hope for 10 years time that's a huge question it is and and it's a it's one i've posed as a guest because when we first started out you both said about that missed generation and i guess actually in 10 years time we shouldn't have like these individuals these young people these girls that are now in school should be well, not on what's the opposite of missed, the C generation. <laughs> I like that. We might use that. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. I, yeah, I think 100% the case that, you know, by 2024, we want every girl to have that equal access within school. Um, so that's the, the huge driver for us, and that's that's five years away. And I think I think things will naturally snowball. We, we've seen the impact of the World Cup, you know, for the first time ever, the Women's World Cup, I would go into my local shop and people were talking about the match, they were wearing their England shirts, people were mimicking Ellen White's celebration. You know, that's never happened before. I don't think we can underestimate the change that we've been through in the last four or five months. Now more than ever, there's a huge spotlight and huge opportunity on this sport of football and, and the change it can make for women. And you know, I think from, from us, you know, speaking on behalf of all of us and the eSport Trust, we're just hugely excited to be part of that journey with the Football Association and the other partners that they work with, like Barclays and Disney, yeah. and I'm sure there'll be many more to come. You know, it's, it's a great journey to be on. We know that we're going to have to think differently. We know that we're going to have to be creative. If we're trying to engage every girl, the offer has to be presented in different ways. And I also think, you know, whilst we say about equal opportunity and that's absolutely what we're striving for, there's a lot of things that we can learn from the boys and men's game. And I think, you know, let's not try and replicate it for girls. Let's try and make it appropriate for girls. Let's try and make it relevant for girls. Let's make sure we've got girls creating and driving that change that, you know, we're encouraging girls to speak up and challenge about that equal opportunity, but doing it in a really thoughtful, empowered way. Um, so I think the future is bright. I'm excited about what lies ahead. Um, 
and working with these wonderful people as well as our partners, um, I think we can genuinely make a difference. And ultimately, let's come back to what we're all here for. It's about not only creating that change within football, but let's have happy, healthy, physically active girls. Let's let's give them the gift of physical activity and sport and the difference that it can make to their lives. Yeah, and I mean, that's really profound, really, isn't it? That, and essentially, generally, people that are going to be listening to this, to this, we would hope have that exact same sort of mantra. And I guess on that note, you know, if someone's listening to this now and going, right, yeah, I get it, football is a vehicle, getting in here, empowering girls, looking at different opportunities, just as a last reminder, where do they go next? We've, we've lit a fire in them, what's that next step for them to start going, okay, how do I, how do, I do this now? www.girlsfootballinschools.org or you can email us at the Youth Sport Trust, fagirls at youthsporttrust.org. And now we hear from Baroness Sue Campbell and Lioness Manager Phil Neville about the journey of women's football and a peek into what the future holds. My name is Sue Campbell and uh, I'm the Director of Women's Football at the FA. I came into the role three and three quarters years ago and I was given three big targets, double participation, double the fan base and win the World Cup in 2023. So that's the journey, small small things to do. So that's the journey we're on and um, uh, the great strength of what we're doing is we've been able to employ really high quality people in every element of the game and it's that team that's now driving the the changes you're starting to see. Hi, I'm uh, Phil Neville, I'm the Senior Women's Head Coach. my job is obviously to, to coach the team, improve standards, uh, get the right results on the field, uh, as well as help grow the game at all levels, uh, integrate some fantastic young players that we've got in our pathway system, uh, set the standards for, for elite football within the women's game, uh, obviously go out there and watch the best football teams in the WSL, our players playing across the world, uh, see breast practice. Uh, and implement those those things into the lioness uh, cultures, values, and performance strategy, and uh, it's been the best thing they've ever done. And I think that, that was something that I picked up on. So you've you've just recently done done the keynote for the school games mm. summit as well, and you said that actually moving from men's football to women's football is one of the best things that you've ever done. What can you tell us a little bit more about that? Instead? Well, I, I think when you when you uh, when you join something that is at the start probably or, or mid-start the journey, uh, you're playing a part in something that is groundbreaking. I think that's what we've seen over the last 18 months. You're, you're playing a small part in something that's groundbreaking, that, that's a massive momentum shift. But it's also the effect that you're having on young girls, uh, female sportsmen, female footballers' lives that I think is the biggest impact that, and it's the biggest inspiration to me is the, is the young girl that comes up to you and saying, I watch your Lionesses play, my hero now is one of your players, and now I'm playing football. That is far greater feeling and satisfaction, I think, than going out there earning X amount of pounds or, or winning winning a medal. I think that has a greater impact on society, on your life, than, and and that is probably what gets me out of bed every single morning. Uh, and I think that's what inspires the team at this moment in time. I guess that's the, you know, for both of you, your Lioness journey has probably been, been different in some senses, but has also come together at a lot of points, and it, and it feels very much like a, from a viewer, from a spectator, that it's not just united on the pitch, but it's actually united in the back room, in the boardroom, 
how have your lioness journeys felt so far? Well, I think um, when I came, there were a few people working at the FA. I call them the pioneers, really. Uh, they, they were the people that were working really hard for the women's game, but there wasn't there wasn't a vision about where the game could go. There, there were lots of things happening, but no great vision for the game. And um, I think the shift has been in, I'll use this expression, but one team, one mission. So as we've appointed people, there's been a real consistency, just like there is with Phil and his values for the team that play on the pitch. Yeah. We have a similar, uh, we, re- we meet um, every two months, Every one of my team is in another, is in a division of the FA. They don't. I don't have a women's team as such. They are in embedded. So whether that's in marketing or participation or television or whatever, they're all embedded across this. And we come together um, every eight weeks and we talk about the culture that we're all working for and what we're trying to accomplish. So there is a really strong sense of a togetherness behind the scenes. Yeah. We've still got a journey to go inside the FA as a, as a whole organisation. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be kidding you if I said, you know, it's all roses and comfort easy. It isn't. Uh, but then anything that's worth doing, anything that's pioneering, anything that's cutting edge, uh, is always going to be tough. Um, and, it, and there are days when um, it's very tough. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many rewards. And for me, one of the biggest pleasures I've had is working with Phil. You know, having Phil join us... In January 18, 17, 17. Um, 18. I'm getting too old. 18. You know, to, to take the women to a new level was going to take someone with enormous coaching ability but also enormous emotional intelligence. And I think it's been a pleasure and a privilege to work with Phil. And, and we still, we know we're still on a journey. We, we, nobody's kidding ourselves. We've arrived. We haven't yeah. arrived. We're on a journey. And there's the, the analogy I use sometimes is, you know, I feel like I started off on the beach, and we've got to the foothills of the mountain. Yeah. But we can now see the mountain. We know what the mountain is, both in terms of the lionesses, but in terms of the whole game. But we've still got that mountain to climb. So there's still a lot to do. Yeah. A lot to do. I think I had the I actually had the easy bit because I think I think when 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 we're we've been on this journey you you come across people below the surface that have actually been pioneering for the last 20 30 40 years and and, and you talk about say for instance in my position uh, Holt Powell, Mark Samson, Mo Marley, these types of figures that didn't have the platform that I have, they didn't have the facilities, the, the backing financially in terms of what we have to give the what we can give the team now actually I've come into women's football when just at the start of the boom where actually things are probably easier for me than what probably was for previous coaches and players. So so the pioneers really are the ones that really need need the, the, the plaudits now because they've had to fight down so many barriers and obstacles along the way to, to get to where we are now. I think Sue's exactly right. Now the vision, the vision that Sue's got and the FA have got for taking the game to the next level I think means that the FA and, and us have to be even more braver and courageous because it's really out of everyone's comfort zone. We've never been into these chartered waters again, uh, of these chartered waters in terms of, oh, this is this can be scary, the fast that we're going forward. And yeah. Susie, exactly right, we're nowhere near probably where we want to be. There's lots of things beneath the surface that need still to be right for the players, for the organisation, for the structure. But 
But I think I think what we've what we've achieved over the last eighteen months has been we've we've burst we've burst the barrier of the banking to now say look the waters can now keep going forward fast. Yeah, I think it's like you know you, you mentioned in your keynote about having families and the obstacles that mm. she's faced, and actually those stories it, it feels like. For women's football, there are so many stories that actually they're, they're being told now and it feels like they're really starting to come through. Do you think that's important for, it, for that? It's the most, it's the reason why the Lioness is connected with the public. Yeah. Not because of probably their football ability, which was a large part, but because of where they've come from and where they are now. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a humility that the person on the street can say, well, that, if that happened to her, that can happen to me. I can get to where I want to get to. Farrah Williams is, is, for me, the best example. Our most capped player. And what she's been through, she could write four or five books on what she's been through. Mm-hmm. And she's still playing now and trying to still play for England now. She's an unbelievable inspiration. Uh, and every single girl's got their own story. And now those stories are being heard. And that's why people are now looking at our players and saying, they could be our inspiration and our heroes. Yeah. And for, and for me, I, I came to the FA, yes, I do love football, but I came to the FA because I wanted to change the lives of girls and women, and not just in football. Mm-hmm. And I think when you see these young women and you see that they did have, or every young woman will have moments when they meet this, meet this block in the road, and you have two choices. One is you back down, mm-hmm. and you don't express where you want to be or where you want to go, or you find a way over it, under it, through it, whatever it takes. And I think that's what's important to me, is that when we tell these stories, we're not just telling stories of someone in football, we're telling stories to girls all over the place. So you want to be an astronaut, and everybody tells you it's not possible, you want to be an electrical engineer, and you want to drive a train, and everybody says, girls, don't do that. Your answer is, no, they can, and they will. And I think that's really important. So I think it's much more than just football for me. Yeah. And, and I think Phil said that in his, in his, his talk. You know, it's a much wider vision we've got. Mm. You know, it sounds a bit grand, but it's a really big moral purpose about what we're trying to do, which is yeah. we're trying to improve lives of girls and women across the country using football as our vehicle. And that's, that's what motivates me every day. I mean, can you feel that, you know, when you're, when you're selling out Wembley and, mm. and we've just had the women's football weekend as well, and we, you know, as, as mentioned the North um, London derby was, was fantastic. The game itself was brilliant, but yeah. seeing the spectators, you know, I, I went to Wembley and have played football from being a little and, and, and was just playing because I had a best mate that was born and was kicking a ball back in a garden. And for me, um, just walking that walk to Wembley was really emotional. Because I was turning around and going, I never thought in my lifetime I would come to a packed out Wembley and see professional women playing the sport that I love. And it does. It then make you then go, I can do anything. It can, you know, I'm, you know yeah. at whatever age you are. And you said that in your keynote as well. So actually, it's not necessarily just about the little ones, the young people, the next generation. It, you're actually almost inspiring the older generations okay. as well. Well, two, two years ago, when we talked about going to full-time Women's Super League, I, if I'd taken a pound for everybody who told me I was bonkers and it was not possible, I'd, I'd have retired a long time ago. Right? <laughs> uh, very rich woman. Um, but but uh, I, I had this vision that said if we could get the Super League to be a professional full-time league, mm-hmm. get the product better, it would give England better players and it would give... Um, the game a real profile and, and two years on that's been proven to be the case and I think you know we're again we're really we're very early days you know you tend to think the game's very big and very like and it is 
but you know we're at the very, very beginning of our journey we've only really been full-time professional as a super league this is our second season yeah <laughs> which is incredible really when you think about it this is this is quite a short catch-up for us with you but, but a question i quite like to finish on was you mentioned that at the minute you started on the beach you feel like you're at the foot of the mountain what's the top what's the peak look like well, I think now we've got our hardest part. I think climbing the mountain is always the hardest part, and I think we're at probably that point nearly now where, where probably everybody's thinking, how do we climb this mountain? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the next step. The next step, and it means that, that the standards, the the vision has to keep going forward, and we can't just think, oh well, we've we've we've, we've had great crowds. Let's just all applaud ourselves because really, uh, that that. We've got to make this sustainable for the next 20 years, 30 yeah. years, for the next 50 years, for the for, the, for our grandkids and their kids and their kids. So uh, it, it can't stand still. If you stand still, you get overtaken. All the world now are watching the WSL and thinking something's happening in England that's greater than anything else that's ever happened in women's football. That is a fact. And we must keep going forward. And, and investment, sponsors have got to keep coming in, which they are. And uh, look, I think what what I've witnessed over the last eighteen months is that we get a big crowd and people are blown away. We're now getting big crowds consistently, so so consistently now people are coming to watch our football. At the weekend, they came because the football was actually really good. That's why they came to watch the game, not because it was at Tottenham or Anfield, because the football was actually really entertaining. And that came from the World Cup because the World Cup was so entertaining. That level of performance has to continue. If that continues. There's no end. There's no end to how high we can go. Yeah. And and winning a World Cup. Yes. That is the ultimate. That's that's ultimately what will inspire my grandkids or or the next generation. Yeah. Winning. Winning does that. Gold medal at Tokyo. Gold medal at Tokyo. Stand on that platform with with the the number one medal around your neck. Because anything below that eventually won't matter to people. They want to see winners. People are inspired by winners. It's a man and I'm to see climbed. Thank you both Thank for you. We both really, really Thank you. appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you like, share and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Acast or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Our episodes will be coming your way every fortnight and if you would like to find out more about the Youth Sport Trust, please head over to our website which you can find at youthsporttrust.org. For now... Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.